Hello and welcome to Bad Romance. I'm Jordane Searles. And I'm Bronwyn Isaac. And this week we have a special guest to discuss a very special movie. So welcome from This Had Oscar Buzz, Chris File. Hey guys. I'm clapping. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, it's so it's so good to talk to you again so soon after us talking about the butler. An amazing episode. I hope your <laughs> listeners go and check it out because, of course, it was your second time on. We also had you on for Cadillac Records, another amazing episode. Please go listen to those. They're fantastic. Jordan, we love you. We'll have you back. <laughs> and, now, <laughs> and, now, and now, in response, movie. I don't know if this yeah. is considered punishment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you get to talk about... <laughs> The 2009 movie, I Love You, Philip Morris. <laughs> what a what a beauty. Uh, I hate you, Philip Morris. <laughs> what a time. What a film. You know, what, what, a, what a pair. Ewan McGregor and Jim Carrey, the couple that you have always wanted to see together. Mm-hmm. So yes. much uh, chemistry. <laughs> It's like if a heterosexual person watched the birdcage, got all the wrong impressions from the birdcage, and said, you know what that movie needed? More prison. <laughs> if, oh, man. There's... I'm excited to uh, hear what you guys think about the movie, though I think we'll all be somewhat on the same page about this movie. I I yeah. sure hope so, because <laughs> if <laughs> I feel like if our opinions are too different, it could get real bad. <laughs> Just given I, the stakes here. So this film was written and directed by a team: John Riqua and Glenn Ficarra, <laughs> who previously made a film. Uh, Crazy Stupid Love. Oh, oh, no. Wait, not previously. They made this right afterwards. Wait, wow. They went right They went right from this to Crazy this, Stupid Love. This was them warming up. Yeah. <laughs> this, is their, this is their warm up. They went on to make uh, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, which we have already done on the podcast. So. We sure have. <laughs> and they made Focus, that thing with Margot Robbie and Will Smith. What was that movie about? Because I saw the trailers and I was like, is this a commercial for sunglasses or does this movie have a plot? I have no idea. I've been meaning to watch it. And I, they... I haven't haven't watched it either. I already have sunglasses, so I didn't feel the need. (laughs) See, I would watch it because it looks like the type of thing that would be fun to watch on like a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. If it wasn't for these directors being attached to it because I lose completely all faith that it will be. That that it will even be fun. These directors, they are currently working on Untitled Harley Quinn and Joker projects. That sounds cursed. Yeah, that I'm just I'm I'm nodding. Uh, so I just want to communicate that to the listeners. <laughs> That's my response to that information is a nod. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah, it's... I mean, this movie has. We said this before we hit record, but this movie feels like 
it feels like multiple movies. It feels like a whole series. I mean, that I mean, that's part of the point is all these different lifetimes within one life. Um, it does, but also the writing is okay. So I'm trying to understand their career trajectory. Okay, they do. I love you, Philip Morris. I guess that gives them enough clout to make three more, well, four more, because there's one coming blockbuster. But before this, they wrote the kids' movie Cats and Dogs, Bad Santa, uh-huh. Looney Tunes Back in Action, and the Bad News Bears remake with Billy Bob Thornton. I've seen three made- out of four of those. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but retroactively, that makes sense. Like, watching this movie and uh, Crazy Stupid Love, which is maybe a lower level bit of too much going on than this is, because this is even more than Crazy Stupid Love in terms of this is just a lot. Oh, yeah. Those are people that should be making Looney Tunes movies. Yes, (laughs) this is a Looney Tune movie. Dogs talk. (laughs) Yes. Not movies about people. (laughs) You know, For sure. Yeah, this this really is a Looney Tunes movie, like a Looney Tune Looney Tunes version of gay kind of like. Actually, I think Looney Tunes is a little bit more smart about queerness, even. Yeah. <laughs> this is I yeah I'm not sure. This is all based on a true story of a real guy, uh, Stephen J. Russell who I think is currently serving life. I don't know. Actually, probably not. He's probably out. Um, um, let me see. I was looking. I know that um, I don't know the Philip Morris the character was released in 2006, but... Um, but he will be eligible for parole this December. Oh, really? Wow, I thought that he was... I thought that he was for life. They could have reduced the sentence after the movie came out because, of course, this is a movie that has, like, the captions at the end of it to tell you these things. But I wonder if that still means he's under, like, the crazy amount of maximum security that it says that he's under, that he has, like, an hour a day where he's not... Where he's not isolated. Oh, boy. Which... Yes. Woof. So... This is a love story, and it begins with a very dramatic image. We have an emaciated uh, Jim Carrey saying, you know, love, talking about love, love is the reason why he's, he's lying there dying, and you think, oh, okay, well, I can't wait for this sweeping love story, this obviously going to be Oscar-nominated tale uh, and then we go into, <laughs> so his story is that he was adopted, went into the church, decided to become a cop, and then, like, and then reveals that he only became a cop because he wanted to find his mother. And this is first revealed in the middle of sex to his very Christian wife, played by Leslie Mann. <laughs> Which can we very just... aggressive and we're told that it's supposed to be funny sex. It's so I felt so uncomfortable with their sex. Like he was just ramming her. Like it did not look Also, I feel like Leslie Mann is always in these weird roles where she's like hypersexualized in this very specific way of of being like 
the diminutive wife person. Um, and in this, she's like totally, she plays the part and maybe, maybe there's my own internalized misogyny with like the way that she's cast and there's a feedback loop, but it does feel like she's always these roles that are like, okay, honey. And then like, she's, she's always a naive character that's very sexualized. And even the way that Jim Carrey, like holds her neck when he kisses her. I hate. Yeah, no, he seems terrifying and creepy and the fact that she like also loves him so much and that that never stops throughout the whole movie is just really weird also i rewatched the bling ring at some point very recently and that was like a movie where finally she wasn't with a man and she was just like being funny by herself and i kept on being like she should just be cast without husbands. All of her husband relationships on screen are awful, but she is a funny actress. I love Leslie Mann. Yeah, so that's, it just, it bugs me because I feel like she's always kind of like wasted on these roles or partially wasted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, she's, no, she's very, I mean, she's great in this. Every scene that I see her, I'm just happy to see her again. It's just unfortunately within the context of her still being in contact with this terrible man. So he so he uses his cop privileges to find his mother who wants nothing to do with him. And so that's kind of the moment that changes everything because he you find out that he's been gay forever. He knew that he was gay. He just is good at appearing straight question mark question mark question mark and but I guess like his mom not accepting him was just like well if mom's not gonna accept me then like who cares about God or protecting and serving so Mm -hmm. he decides that he is going to be as in his words as as gay as possible when Um, he gets in like this this horrible car wreck and so that's how he decides that he's just going to you know he comes out in the, is it in the ambulance that he first comes out? And of course, because it's Jim Carrey yeah. doing what Jim Carrey is doing in this movie, he's like screaming it in a neck brace and that's <laughs> supposed to be funny. Yeah, it's like supposed to be like this like funny moment and then for his character, this like catharsis, but it's just like, oh God. Yeah. <laughs> like Jim Carrey, Why? Yeah, I don't know. I I made a note here that just says "come in my ass." Does he say that or during his set, his first sex scene with like you see a party where he and his wife are like hosting other couples or something or maybe they're new neighbors and she he has sex with the other husband and the other husband tells him to come in his ass. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that's before that's before the car accident. So that's like him being like, "Oh, you know, record scratch. Also, I'm gay, but I haven't come out until." Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, yeah, I, yeah, him coming out like so he moves to Florida <laughs> and gets a boyfriend named Jimmy, and poor Jimmy, <laughs> just. Everybody that's in contact with Jim Carrey's character, I feel awful for. Played by Rodrigo Santoro, who um, is also a love object in Love Actually. (laughs) And a bunch of other movies, too. It was like when Rodrigo Santoro started being in American films, he was always somebody's love interest for like three scenes. 
Yeah. There's like a whole period of that where it's, it's just like, this guy can't catch a break. It's like, this guy's hot. <laughs> just like, yeah. so, you know, he's I here. I seen 300, which is like whenever um, Kyle sees him in a movie, he's just like, oh my God, do you want to watch 300? And I say no. But one day, <laughs> one day we, te- we own 300. I just refuse to put it into the Blu-ray. It's probably as many lines as Rodrigo Santoro has ever had in an American film. (laughs) Right. There's like five separate sentences like yelled into the abyss. Meanwhile, overseas, he's like a screen icon. (laughs) Right. We're awful. (laughs) We're him. Hollywood. accessory boyfriend like you know and it's almost like the trope where it's like oh yes i got a nice hot younger boyfriend and he's got like an accent and then that's all you know about him Mm -hmm. like like yeah it reduces him to a stereotype but also i kind of feel like and i felt this a little bit about leslie mann too like this movie is so like loud and like in your face about all of the things that it's doing and like basically Looney Tunes like we were saying that like nobody really feels like a real person ever and maybe Rodrigo Santoro and Leslie Mann are the closest things to feeling like you're watching a person you know yeah absolutely because it is all yeah it's so cartoonish and and with the narrating it makes it more cartoonish um, oh yeah, and but also at the end of the movie, you find out that like Jimmy had AIDS, and I felt like I missed that. Like, it do they mention it? Up to no, what no, they don't. So you didn't miss that. That was yeah. So when it happens later, I'm just like, wait, this this whole thing was a plot, and you like mm-hmm. cut it out. <laughs> Well, no, they use his AIDS as, like, a plot device for the movie, and then they make you, well, we're jumping ahead, they make you think that Jim Carrey has AIDS, and really it's just him faking it Oh my! get out of prison. Okay, so when I was... Also, I I need you both to know that I've seen this movie before, and I still cried, and then I got really angry. (laughs) (laughs) I cried during him dying, and then I was like, oh, right, of course he's not dead, and then I was really mad... (laughs) And I like texted my sister about how angry I was at Jim Carrey, and she's like, she hates Jim Carrey, so she's like, yeah. Oh my god! Like it's so okay. So I forgot about that twist. Like I had seen this movie before when I was very very young because this movie came out when I was in high school, so that's when I saw it. Um, and so like watching it again I was like oh I don't remember what it is about this movie that I because I remember not liking something about it but I couldn't remember what and then when we got to the AIDS I was like oh 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 (laughs) oh oh Jesus Christ like how gross to use that as this like comedy plot device like it's supposed to be like just kidding (laughs) like what the fuck it's so funny that we made you feel emotional because you thought he had AIDS but really it's funny because he didn't he didn't he just watched his ex die and then use what the fuck yeah it's absolutely I mean like it's despicable on movie terms but it's also despicable on character terms which like if this movie thought that he was a bad person fine but this movie mm-hmm. doesn't think that he's a bad person this no. movie thinks that he's some kind of like 
roguish romantic hero and i okay let's let's go on with a little bit more of this plot before we get into like everything that's wrong with him so he basically he become he decides i'm going to be as gay as possible which in his in his terms is like gayness and capitalism go hands in hand is essentially what he Mm -hmm. believes like he just starts become like obsessed with buying things with having little dogs with with like gayness is a gucci belt he's like i don't know he's he's like what i think fire island is like like i just imagine fire island is full of that guy (laughs) like he's really happy that bank of america is at the parade Because it's just like, I don't know why. It's just like, well, if I'm going to be gay, I'm going to be rich. Well, he's like, one of the lines that he says is being gay is very expensive. Um, and I wrote that down because it was so ridiculous. But also, I was like, that could be a line. This is me fixating, but that could be a line that would make sense if he talked about how it's expensive because of the ways you're, like, discriminated against or because of, like, other experiences. But instead, it's just like, oh, I have to buy a lot of expensive stuff for my boyfriend. What? He doesn't experience any discrimination. Like, it's no. so... This is one of my other problems with this movie. The only people that are ever homophobic to him in this movie are black people in prison. Yes! Like, he ends up in some law firm in, like, Florida with a bunch of rich white people, and you're telling me they were never homophobic to him? That's absurd. That's ridiculous. Yes. I thought, I noticed that too, that it was only black people in prison and then all these like rich white people were just like chill. And like, I was like, they didn't even make like really offensive jokes. I don't fucking believe that. Like, yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's the racism was something that I did not remember from high school, but I mean, in high school, I thought about racism completely differently. So it makes sense. Like, but I was just, I was just watching this and I was like, wait, why? Because like, if the black character didn't call him that, he's more or less an ally. Like this black man like sacrifices his life so that like Jim Carrey and Ewan McGregor can have dates and shit. Like it's like, (laughs) it's really rude to this character because this man is awesome. Yeah, he's, like, delivering love letters and, like, orchestrating this whole relationship that could get him in, in huge trouble. And, and like, they're like, oh, we'll make sure that he's he's uh, he's homophobic. Well, he's and it's like be homophobic so that we don't like or sympathize with any black characters because this movie is about white people in the South. Like, it's just basically, like, Georgia, Florida, Georgia, Florida. And I was just like, these are my areas. And, like, black people are not... Well, it's also because then we'd have to think about the black people in jail who aren't getting in and coming out in the same way that Jim Carrey is. And that's a whole different movie. Jim Carrey, his character, like, canonically doesn't seem to understand that racism exists. Like, he's, like, like, endangering this black man over and over and over again. And then there's the part where he's, like, the black man is, like, getting, like, taste and shit and they're just, like, dancing to the music. And I'm just... It is gross. It is not real bad. Yeah, it's really fucked up. 
so yeah, because he had no choice, he had to be a con man. He had to be a gay con man. He goes to prison. I love that everyone wears bright yellow jumpsuits in this prison. I have never <laughs> seen that. <laughs> what is that? It's like they were like, we need a fun color. It was the Pantone color that year, and so the prison really wanted to, you know, be be in line with the trends. And like we, and so when we're getting introduced to, we're introduced to time in prison, and of course, like he gets, he manages to get along wherever he's going, Jim Carrey. So he's like in prison for a couple months, and he's got it, and he's like giving this guy, you know, like a whole tour, and it's just like blah 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 blah. You could do this, or you could suck his dick. Blah blah blah. You could do this, or you could suck his dick, and then. You know, rule of threes, there's another dick joke. And then I think at the end of that scene, he does get his dick sucked by yeah. whoever that new guy was. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's great. Um, <laughs> thoughts on this, Chris? <laughs> I mean, okay, I am not someone who is, like, a stickler for if you're doing a true story, everything has to be true, right? But, like... Uh, one of the things that made me more offensive even after the fact of this movie is looking it up the two lovers that we haven't gotten to you and Gregor yet, but like they're, we're going to get there guys. They, they meet in jail and they fall in love. They weren't in prison at the same time in real life. So like the whole conceit of this movie becomes gay people in prison. Isn't that funny? And, and, and so convenient. You know, right. Right. Um, so it's like this whole idea that they could fall in love in jail and it's supposed to be, you know, like... It's, a, it's It almost, like, presents jail as, like, this perfect environment for gay love. Like, everything just falls into place for them. Well, it, And I don't... It kind of feels like almost like it's in the same neighborhood as like all of the horrible like rape jokes that people make but this is like the flip side of that of like actually jail's awesome if you do like men which it's like no exactly i mean like and this i don't think this movie can even like try to get away with it by trying to say that it's satire um, in any type of way where it's actually interrogating the prison system or, like, actually interrogating, you know, widespread superficiality among uh, white gay men. Like, to go back to the, like, being gay is expensive thing. It, it's just so... Everything about this movie is, like, gauche in the extreme and like offensive in the extreme in a way that like it took forever this movie debuted at Sundance like two years before it eventually opened and like it makes sense because like it's even you can't even look back at this movie and say for its time it's like you can understand it in that context like this was offensive then yeah um uh, this, yeah. I yeah I mean the only other like really successful like um gay with finger quotes comedy that came before this during this time was I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry. Like, this Mm -hmm. was the decade that brought us I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry and this movie. And they both were super... Well, no. I mean, like, I love... I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry was super, super popular, but this wasn't, like, hated. I don't think. No, this got great reviews. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I, Which is yeah. unfortunate 
which just tells you that like a lot of the critics that were writing about this movie a lot of them straight white guys were laughing along with this um yeah yeah i don't this is like i mean when i was like 16 in high school like like sure but like i but like i was a high school kid what was everyone else's excuse i don't (laughs) what was what was going on in 2009 i mean what this is like this is like and this is all like four years after Brokeback Mountain mm-hmm. and was there even anything was there any other like gay movie that we can think of from like the early 2010s I mean there's like the kids are all right um that was I think that was 2010 if I remember correctly mm. yeah um, and that 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 has too much dick in it for my taste <laughs> Um, well, it's Mark Ruffalo's dick, so for me, this, for my taste, yeah, there's that, not enough of it. Um, but in that movie, like, I, is, yes, I agree with Hunter Harris, women. like, he is an agent of evil in that movie. Oh, I agree. I completely agree. Um, but... Oh, we should, we should do The Kids Are Alright on this podcast. With that Man, that's like, we rarely ever do a movie that's so technically good, like The Kids Are Alright, where it's like our entire conversation will be ideological. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but okay, so this, uh, so they, so they, uh, we inter- were introduced to Ewan McGregor, who is a person that like, it's, it's finally the great thing about Kyle coming out is that he's finally ready to like talk to me about who he finds attractive, and like I was honestly shocked to find out that he finds Ewan McGregor attractive. I do not see it for that boy at all. A lot of people feel that way about Ewan McGregor, and like this movie is a case study in why he doesn't work for me because like Ewan McGregor is even like he's like maybe the mo- the least toxic extension of all of this archness of this movie because like he is never a person in this movie he's no. like eyes are yeah. always huge and he's just talking very sincerely the whole time yeah like has no chemistry with jim carrey which i don't blame him because i think jim carrey is fully off his rocker in this movie in a way that yeah i mean he's just an evil tornado jim carrey in this movie like it's so like the idea of sleeping next to this man terrifies me (laughs) yeah i mean i i feel like he would just be like sweating out a scam onto me like i i will say i am attracted to ewan mcgregor i i couldn't be attracted to him in this movie because um a he's not a person like he's just like doe-eyed like uh, basically treated as this doe-eyed, like, cute object of affection for this psycho. <laughs> um, so his whole thing is like, I can't be in the prison yard because you know what happens to to blue-eyed, blonde-haired boys like me in the prison yard. And the whole time he's, like, talking about this, I'm looking at him, and I'm just like... I don't even think that you believe this about yourself. Like he doesn't like he doesn't work as a blonde. He doesn't <laughs> work as a twink. Like all like if you're going to give us this movie and you're like okay, it's a blonde twink, he can't be in the prison yard. Give me a blonde twink. Give me a real one. What give felt me, more believable like, is Pardue. like <laughs> 
he looks more like those like 50 year old like used to be twinks than yeah. an actual twink right? that's a like, great description like yeah Fort Lauderdale homosexual mm-hmm. man but like everything with Ewan McGregor felt like such an active put on that like none of it really felt authentic no I mean him and Jim Carrey it's like such a weird pairing I just I can't point where it feels like isn't that part of the joke yeah these gay people it's so funny that they would be into each other look they're a couple in this movie like it's almost intentional that they're incongruous together yeah yeah because otherwise if it actually felt um tender then there would be a depth to their relationship and then people would actually have to think about the real issues that are presented in this movie but aren't actually like don't dive i can't talk today (laughs) or not really like talk about because i mean like if you're gay and like the 90s like there's so there's so much going on there's so much to talk about like it's so it's i don't know man like it was like a big time for like queer representation in film or at least in like mainstream film and the whole time i'm just sitting there thinking about the 90s thinking about gregor rocky thinking about gus van zandt and i'm just this story that we're getting is like it's it's like how i imagine like what a like what a movie about like Mayor Pete and Chasten would be like. Like I just don't <laughs> <laughs> Wow, you invoked them and now they are going to be here in this episode. That is Oh my god. No, You summoned them, Jordane. These are the gays who don't, these are the gays that have no idea about anything. Like they've never like gone to a protest. They've never gone to a queer bookstore. Like I don't understand, like this, this, this person, I don't know. It's like, it's like they just like fucking like boardrooms with caviar. I just don't care. Or with their like Hamilton branded fleshlight. Yes. Wow. Oh my god, it's so That's I'm sorry, I apologize for that mental image. No, it was I think that I think that it was important to share that image with us. (laughs) Oh my god, yeah. Yes, like not they're not like real people, they're robot people that yeah. Yeah, and and then Yeah, I watched I watched the movie. Oh, I was about to say, I watched a movie where Ewan McGregor voices, voices a, like a robot, and I was just like, this is perfect. <laughs> okay, the two things that I, I, if you haven't seen them, that I would recommend to, like, understand Ewan McGregor, like, when he works, because, like, I think when he doesn't work, it's movies like this where it's like, what are you doing? You're trying to do this thing that you're not actually achieving. You should watch Down With Love. Have you guys done with Down With Love? I love Down, Down with Love. Down so um, And he's, like, perfect in it. Like, that's what he should be doing, but we don't make movies like that. Um, and have you seen Velvet Goldmine? Yes, yes, I have. I have Velvet not. Gold. I've seen Down with Love, but I haven't seen uh, Velvet Goldmine. You should watch Velvet Goldmine. And you check it out. Okay. You gotta watch Velvet Goldmine. But also, like, um, Kyle's favorite erotic movie, which we recorded a podcast for, like, his um, podcast that he's working on, is called the pillow book and it's like a peter greenaway 
Yeah. Okay, so Ewan McGregor in that is really fascinating. I at least believe... Actually, he's really great as a blonde twink in that movie. <laughs> that was... But that also, like, came out, like, over a decade before this movie. Yeah, when he was a blonde twink. When he was, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen The Pillow Book, Chris? No, I need to. Um, I actually haven't seen a ton of Peter Greenaway, but the stuff that I've seen is, like... What am I watching? Yeah. Oh my god, you have to, because like the whole thing about the pillow book, it's about like like how erotic it is to well, I mean it's about a lot of things, but a lot of it's about how erotic it is to write on your lover. And so mm-hmm. like his lover in the movie like writes on Eden McGregor because like his pale skin is like a great paper for words. So she Yeah, so a lot of it's her like fucking him and then like writing all over him and it's it's good. It's good. I can get into that. <laughs> wow, that's that's a lot, and I love that. <laughs> that sounds that's like a Peter want. Greenaway movie. Like everything that I sought out in college. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, there's so many, I don't know, like, he, he but yeah, he, Ewan McGregor has a habit of, like, not seeming like a person, so when he's playing an insincere character, it, it works, like... And here, everything that he says is insincere. It just doesn't sound sincere to me. When when they say that they love each other, it just doesn't. I don't know. It's like they're doing it in front of a studio audience. I'm not one of those people that complain about straight people playing gay people because, like, there's plenty of examples that it has been done exceptionally. But, like, this is the case example of, like, why maybe they shouldn't <laughs> because um, like there is absolutely no romance between the two of them there's no they don't even really have chemistry as like screen partners no romantic screen partners um and i think it's because they're both just like trying to hammer the beats that they're playing and the character that they're playing in a way that's so demonstrative and like not real people so like how can you expect them to connect on screen yeah, exactly. And like I and Jim Carrey specifically, it's very very hard for me to imagine him playing a gay character very well. Um partly because he is so cartoony and he has just such a cartoony straight guy comedic vibe um that even the moments where I genuinely believe he's trying to play the role well in these moments that we're supposed to feel emotion and and I got duped at moments into feeling emotion. It's still it's so Jim Carrey. It's just very hard to like believe it. I mean, I maybe could believe him as a gay character if we were getting like Truman Show, Jim yeah. Carrey, where he actually like is uh, you know playing a person. He's not doing so much but like truly this is maybe like past the degree of ace ventura like level jim carrey zaniness in this movie i mean every time i mean one of the biggest devices in the movies that that is used consistently is every time things get serious there's oh actually this is happening and he pulled this off and so it's kind of like a fuck you to the viewer if you do want to actually try to connect with the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I agree with you. It, he, he, this is, like, beyond Ace Ventura. 
Oh, I just said uh, this is like beyond Ace Ventura. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Well, because like it's like they he falls in love with Philip Morris, which is Ian McGregor's character, the titular character, um, like very quickly, and then Philip Morris gets transferred, and then they start using this black man as like a carrier for their relationship, and then one day. Um, he just like shows up and he's in the same cell as Philip Morris, which is like one in like a long string of like, I don't know how he did it. He just did it things that he does. And I mean, I guess it helps that this is the nineties and this is before like everybody had internet and could look everybody up and everything. But the shit that he gets away with is still pretty wild. And I feel like the movie's re- reasoning for that is like, well, we're in the South where you can like get away with things. And I was like, ah, you don't really get away with things in the South. Like that's weird. That's a weird way of looking at it. Yeah. I felt like um, the movie used the fact that it is based on a real guy to get away with more, even that doesn't apply to his story. I feel like that happens with movies with with really absurd movies about crime is they they start with a real story and then they use that as an excuse to not explain other absurd parts that they add to it <laughs> they're like well because some of this crazy stuff is true happen, so they could be like but it happened exactly <laughs> um but it does but the, even the stuff that has happened you could still try to give us a tiny bit of logic <laughs> like even in a comedy yeah, and so there, they, I feel like also that um, Stephen and Philip have such a weird relationship, like as they work, like it, like Stephen's opening to Philip is like, I'm going to take care of everything and like I'm always going to protect you. And it was all just very, um, it felt like guys making fun of women kind of, like it's just this weird thing where like every the way that they do gender roles just almost feels like like a drag performance, but I don't know who's getting, who's supposed to be lampooned here. Like, I don't know. Like Philip felt so very similar to Leslie Mann's character. Yes. But in a way that didn't feel intentional. Like it felt like an accident that the movie basically made them the same naive person that just right. like went along with That is bullshit. so in love like, with Yeah. Yeah, with uh Jim Carrey and just like willing to forgive and like Smart enough to know that there's something going on, but also not care enough to it's, interrogate it's just it. This weird thing where it's just like, it's like he's like a princess or something. Where it's just like, oh, well, you know, he was like my knight in shining armor, and like suddenly we had all of this shit, and suddenly we're really rich, and like I don't know, I had questions, but like I don't know, it's like. It's it's like when you're like doing like a true crime thing and you're just like asking the wife like how, why didn't you know and she's just like well I don't know I mean we had like a very nice home and <laughs> yeah <laughs> the subtext so is weird. the I'm subtext so is like Ewan McGregor just didn't want to have a job which is relatable <laughs> like, <laughs> he's just like I don't want to fucking work forty hours a week. <laughs> I'm gonna live with this crazy guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like I don't know. Like it seems like this movie like thinks that women are stupid and also thinks that bottoms are women and that bottoms are stupid. <laughs> like it's 
I mean, this movie's not alone in that thought. Right. <laughs> it's also just like the movie's called I Love You, Philip Morris, but like Philip Morris, especially once they're out of jail, like he's not even in the story. It's all about uh, Jim Carrey's character uh, and the cons that he does. He ends up in a law firm and like steals money. Like, I don't know. And then he's pretending to be straight in that law firm and like that causes tension. And it's just, I I honestly didn't understand what the point of that whole, like including that was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. I don't know. It's the, the love story parts of this are only convenient. Like when the movie needs there to be a love story. Uh, to the point that it's like Philip is never really a character. Like we, we were just joking about him just like sitting around the house for all we know he did have a job or like hobbies or interests, but we would never know or like thoughts. We don't know. We don't know anything about Philip. Like all we know is like the ways in which like Steven changes their environment. Like, like using a, using a prison riot for romance. I kept on thinking about all the other prisoners who are just like pawns in this weird, like love. And I just kept on wanting these prisoners to just like uprise, not just from the guards, but from Steven. Like, (laughs) yeah, Steven just run everyone's life. I don't know. But yeah, like he pretends to be a lawyer to get Philip out of jail. He pretends to be a lawyer so many times. He pretends to be doctors and like no no credentials, no phone number, no nothing, no card. Just like calls people with voices and they believe him. And I just. It's so, <laughs> so like silly. And- so silly. And also, when he first gets his office, like, I had to mention this, like, there's a black woman there, and she's like, okay, is there anything that I can do for you? And he asks her for coffee, and then she just pauses for a long time, and then she's like, I'll do that today, but but I don't do that, really. And I was like, I want the part of this movie where she whoops his ass. (laughs) Seriously. I was like, I would rather watch the movie of her, like, maneuvering around all of these other probable awful awful people than spend one more minute with Jim Carrey in this movie. Yeah, like she like that one sentence like you just knew like years of being tired and of just being like I have to set this boundary now because you're going to expect this shit of me otherwise. <laughs> just just imagine like I want to see I wish there was a scene where he gets like found out for being a fraud and it's her very specifically just being like like, just like, uh, I just like it's like that Kill Bill movie that was just supposed to be about the um, it was the idea of a Kill Bill movie. It's probably not going to happen. Where it's just like Vivica Fox's daughter going after Uma Thurman. Like that's what I wanted. I wanted like <laughs> where she just like goes after Steven. It's just a whole movie of her just fucking that white man up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, that kill that Kill Bill sequel would be great. You know, I don't I don't want Tarantino to make it though. So I guess it's never gonna be great. What if we just gave it to someone else? It's just like, oh, this seems like a movie about a black woman getting vengeance. Maybe I shouldn't be part of this. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch that character though. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I would. Um, yeah, they're love. It's weird because, like, eventually it just becomes, like, about him conning. I mean, he gets Philip pretty easily, and then he, like, ignores Philip to do more conning. And, like, there's moments where Philip's like, hey, you know, I don't really, like, need all this fancy stuff so you can stop. But it's, like... It's not for him. And I kind of wish the movie recognizes that, but I kind of wish the movie would really dig into like the fact that he does all these things and says that they're for Philip when they're obviously not. And does he actually believe that or is he just a sociopath? Yeah. Cause I mean, he was conning when he was with Leslie as well. Like he's been conning the whole time in different levels. So it's obviously for him. And it is interesting that the whole, the, the time where there's supposed to be the most chemistry between them is when they're in prison. But then when they're out and they have this really nice house and the freedom to do all these things together. And I guess they live in this world where there's no homophobia and they're rich immediately, which is awesome. Um, and, and able to do all these scams after being out of jail and, you know, just all these things magically work out and they can't like enjoy dinner together. I just, like it it made it very clear that you know Jim Carrey's character is I don't I don't know I I'm not going to be an armchair psychologist like a narcissist there's obviously something going on you know um causing the 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 nonstop conning but it makes it it's not a love story and it would be more interesting if it just focused on why he cons and what's going on inside his head rather than just showing us how he cons or if it actually made Philip a person <laughs> so that even though they don't have a good relationship, we could, we could see what's going on. Cause I, I just feel bad for Philip. Like I just want him to be out. Well, you almost wonder if the movie would be more interesting or like could doing what it's doing even like actually interrogate Steven as a character and what he's doing and what maybe the psychosis is behind it. If it was from Philip's perspective and then maybe Philip could also be, uh, you know, an authentic character in a way or a fully formed character. If we actually, you know, saw it from his perspective i guess that would make it feel a little more true crimey like i don't want this to be dirty john right because i hate that Uh, shit Um. i can't stand dirty john like i tried to watch the show and i was realizing this is just really depressing me and also this really happened and i can just turn it off i don't have to deal with it (laughs) you're like i don't have to be sad in this way right now yeah (laughs) I did kind of come to this movie ready to like it because, like, as someone who is fascinated with, like, scammer culture... Yeah, same. You kind of want it to be fun in that way, but it's not... Like, you can't even enjoy it on, like, a schadenfreude level. (laughs) Yeah, like, there's too many things that you have to dissociate from (laughs) in order to get that enjoyment. I was thinking about how it was well-received, and obviously... The fact, I mean, I think I, I, I keep coming back to Jim Carrey, but I think that people are so used to Jim Carrey being cartoonish that I wonder if that was one of the big factors that prevented people from really critiquing it the way they should have. Besides, like, 
people like the homophobia uh, that people have or ignorance, but also just the fact that people are like, oh, Jim Carrey's so funny and crazy. Like, look at him go. Not actually interrogating, but who is he supposed to be and what is his character doing? Um, yeah, I, I, I love scammer culture and I'm on board for a cartoony movie. There's plenty of cartoony movies that I like, but using AIDS as a comedic plot device, using prison as a comedic plot device, especially in this context of men falling in love and then having the only black characters be homophobic and just like props. Like there's just so many things there. Yeah. This movie reminded me of, like, two movies that I'm sure no one else remembers. Um, Let's Go to Prison, which is exactly what you think it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just it's just Kristen Bell's husband going to prison. Se- seemed like a good idea. And then Let's Be Cops. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this yeah, movie should have been called Let's Be Gay. Let's be, <laughs> yes, this is Let's Be Gay. Like, it's, it's just the same thing where it's just like a weird scam that like no one would like. I mean, thankfully people rejected Let's Be Cops and Let's Go to Prison. I'm sure because of the title. Like, why would you? Oh yeah, I'm going to go watch Let's Go to Prison. (laughs) Yeah, like yeah, even people who don't really interrogate what they watch have a little bit of (laughs) self-respect. Like, Like not not even I. Like, I've been watching a lot of, like, I watched That's My Boy in its entirety the other day. And I mean, wow, what a motion picture. But like, (laughs) I've only watched like Let's Go to Prison in like parts on like Comedy Central, which is where this movie belongs. This movie also belongs on Comedy Central where we can just forget it. They can replace like all the Superstar reruns because at least Superstar is interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I definitely see this like playing at 4 p.m. on a Sunday on Comedy Central. <laughs> yeah, this is, I, I don't know, because it's like, because when he started, like, because uh, there's like a whole plot before the AIDS where it's like he just keeps on trying to go to the hospital, so he keeps on hurting himself, getting himself hurt, just wasting everybody's time, wasting resource. Anyway, <laughs> throws himself off the top of a parking garage, things like that. Yeah, just like crazy stuff. And then suddenly he gets he gets AIDS and it's a thing where like Philip isn't talking to him and I almost felt like I don't know, like I had the urge that it might have been a lie and that he just wanted Philip to see him, but I was like, no, this movie wouldn't do that. I would have remembered that. And it's just we get to watch someone pretend to die of AIDS and then he goes through his whole thing about it and it's one of the weirdest devices ever because it's framed in the movie as like a really funny thing to do mm-hmm. and also After as something asking that's asking us to sympathize with him for the first time right and like also like that it's something that's possible to do like our suspension of disbelief in this movie is so high because it's a cartoon, but then that like he could do all of these things and survive after all of the things his body's already been through. I don't know that it's weird for me to fixate on that part, but I kept thinking like 
you've already put your heart through a bunch with your suicide attempts and all of these things, like, and now this? Yeah. Yeah. And then I have to watch, like, Ewan McGregor pretend to be emotional about this, which is really punishing. It's also, like, the people who... (sighs) I just... I feel like there's a lot of people who probably watched this movie. Okay, this is a very big statement to make, but, you know, someone can come for me. Who probably... This might be one of the only movies that they watch that addresses AIDS, and this is how it's addressed. And that's terrifying. Like, yeah. yeah I just... I was thinking about that, and I was like, whoa. I truly don't and, know why this exists. And somehow this is only an hour and a half long. Like, I felt kind of mad on it when I watched it the other day, but now I'm kind of mad. If you put this movie under any kind of microscope, like, you're just gonna get mad at it. Because, like, while you're in the movie and, like, the tone that it's trying really hard to sell you on is just, like, bananas, cuckoo crazy, like, isn't this fun? Like, it, it's it's so loud. It's so loud. You, can, you kind of are forced onto its wavelength in a way while still being like, well, that was not okay. That was not okay. That was not okay. And then when you step back from a movie, it's a really big movie. That's yeah, a great way of putting it. It's like a movie about like gay performance, but like I don't get who the audience is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I started um, shortly before, like the week before Larry Kramer died, I started reading Larry Kramer's Faggots, which is still like controversial in its satire and like the way that he critiques like widespread gay superficiality in a way that's really fascinating to me. And like his language is so precise in that, that it's like it gets to the root of the issue, but sometimes is also really funny. And I'm like, wait, am I laughing because of internalized homophobia or am I laughing because he's right or the language is just great. And like, I would be interested in like this story in like with that type of lens that could actually critique the scenarios that it's in or like have a perspective that beyond trying to think that it's funny you know like i think there's the material here for something really interesting but the point of view on it is fucked yeah absolutely yeah there's i mean in like it has so many good actors in the movie and like obviously a big budget. It's like, there's all these ingredients and then they're just used in this way. (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking about what this movie reminds me of. Like if it, if it actually could remind me of another movie and the closest that I got was the Frank Oz Stepford Wives. <laughs> but that's camp. Like, this movie isn't even camp, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's even, not. It's just even, loud. Even that Stepford Wives movie is better than this. Like, it makes me actually want to read. The movie, honestly, that it reminded me the most of, just, like, tonally and what we're asked to buy and think is, like, fun and uplifting was crazy stupid love i think i text you right after i watched it i was like it makes sense that it's from those same people because like that movie is like 
what if an underage girl was sending nude photos to an older man and her son got them and then, oh, by the way, she gives them to him as a gift. And like, isn't that sweet? Isn't that heartwarming? Isn't that charming? We no, need to. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what it's are you talking on the about? For a while, but I just kept on thinking people really like crazy, stupid love. People are going to be mad at us, but you no, know, it, we did crazy, stupid love on this at Oscar Buzz, and it's like watching it. It's like the tone of it is so effective, and I think what people really like about the movie is the tone. Because mm-hmm. the way that, like, literally every character acts in that movie, everyone in that movie belongs to, like, to, they need to be locked away from other people. <laughs> like, they need to not be in each other's lives. They need to, they need help. They, yeah. So where does this one fall short compared to that one, do you think? Like, what's, what's the wrong ingredient here? <laughs> I guess that I mean like that movie's that movie's fucked up anyway. Um but like I can see why people like Crazy Stupid Love. I am genuinely baffled why people would like I Love You Philip Morris. Because like even just that thing of like it's a convincing tone, it's an a, like a heartwarming, it's starring people you like. Um who like some of them don't give bad performances like the in crazy stupid love the things that marissa tomei is asked to do are utterly ridiculous but she's good in the movie yeah i mean uh, she's i've seen her turn so many roles like like she's like all right i'm gonna work with this because <laughs> i can yeah and gosling's really good in the movie he plays a sociopath but he's good I just remembered that this movie ends with a cloud shaped like a dick. Yeah, and that really, I mean, it's sandwiched in clouds shaped like dicks because him, also, we didn't talk about this and we don't really need to say anything except that this happened. When he first mentions that he's gay, there's a flashback of him as a child laying down on the grass with other kids and, and they're all looking at the clouds and he sees a dick. And I'm like... Just kill me. Yeah, that's how it happens, guys. I, I hate to break it to everybody, the listeners, that's how you know, um, as a gay man, you'll see dicks in the sky. That's, well, that's, how you, that's, that's the first way that yeah. you know that you're gay. Yeah. It's, it's really great that this movie could educate all of us, isn't it? I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think about what, like, the bisexual, like, for me, like, did, it, did I see, like, a vagina in a tree... yeah it's like okay so i mean we're not we haven't like gone through every beat of this plot but every beat is just like a scam and him not getting caught and then eventually the scam gets him caught and then he weasels his way out of it like this movie basically tells us that he got to spend some happy years with philip but Due to him being addicted to lying, he just ended up in prison again. And I don't even know. I would love to know how this love story actually really worked out. Because, like, I mean, I guess he's still in prison now. I know that, and I read that um, at the end, Philip Morris got released in 2006. So I wonder how the real Philip Morris feels about this movie in the Mm -hmm. story. Because he's still, I think he's still with us, or at least he was for a while. That 
I don't know if this was my like I feel like it's good that um the real Steven is no it's not it's like I don't know I want to know what the real Steven okay is I'm like. looking I don't um think the real Steven is not like this guy so uh I'm looking at an interview with uh the real uh Philip Morris and it this interview is from 2010, so obviously a decade ago, and it says, On the phone, Philip Morris does sound quite like e- Ewan McGregor's m- interpretation of his lilting Ar- Arkansan cadence. Um, anyways, he has watched the movie... At, in 2010, he had watched the movie 48 times. He thought that Ewan McGregor did a fantastic job and had his mannerisms down. Um... And I guess Ewan McGregor spent time with him to study him. Um, and that like he was. No. Yeah. No, I'm, not to be rude to Philip Morris, the actual person, but has he seen another film? <laughs> <laughs> he said, yeah, he says he's honored and flattered. And uh, there was one question that said, is there something that Ewan McGregor did in the film in which you really saw yourself? And the real Philip Morris said, I'm a ball bag. I'm just a big old sissy ball bag i cry a lot i'm very sentimental very tender-hearted the scene where ewan uh where i'm sitting alone in my jail cell and steve is supposedly dying and the orderly walks up to my door while i'm eating crackers and i look up and say want a cracker i know that sounds silly but that was me um and then let's see Okay, I'm I'm just like going through to pick the. And I, the we're just sitting here aghast. There's like okay. So one of the questions is, how do you feel about this story being out there in the public? And he said he's delighted. Um, just the fact that people will see me as one of Steve's victims as well. I've watched it with really close friends of mine and family members who don't know the extent of what that man put me through. After the movie, one of my best fishing buddies, who happens to be straight. Um, actually held me and cried and told me, Philip, I, I did not know this about you. So based on what I'm seeing from the interview, he feels like he was presented empathetically. He experienced hell because of Steven. So that's why he likes it, which I can understand it from that perspective. Yeah, uh, yeah. But even right there, we got more personality. Right. Like, more of a, <laughs> uh, just in that quote. Like, that's a person. person. Like, he's he's a person. Yeah. 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 Like an actual movie about him. Exactly. <laughs> like the first thing that was in that quote is, I'm very emotional. Wouldn't have known it from the movie. Exactly. <laughs> like he's like, I'm a tender hearted cry baby, all this. And I'm like, okay, you sound adorable. You sound like a real person that I would love to see on screen. Ewan McGregor is someone that I think is adorable on screen sometimes, but he did not have that kind of soul. <laughs> yeah, he just played him simple. Yeah, it was very like, I'm demure compared to Jim Carrey spiraling out (laughs) (laughs) which who among us isn't Jenny McCarthy probably seemed demure at some point while spreading conspiracy theories yeah bioterrorist with bleached hair I really got off track there but uh I love it wow knowing knowing how Philip Morris feels really that that really like paints it for me and actually makes me more sad that we didn't get more of his character. That oh my god. Uh wow. I mean, honestly, 
I really just want somebody to make a movie about this nice this nice man. <laughs> like a real like a real actual good movie about him. Cause like, what a sweetheart. Meanwhile, we just have this movie. Why do we always get the movies about the monsters? I was thinking this when the Ted Bundy movie came out, where I'm just like, dude, can it just be like why couldn't the movie be like something cheesy like the woman who loved ted bundy like what if we were just like let's just spend some time with her what was she doing that's why i was so happy when the lorena uh series came out um because you so it's even though you know i mean the whole point is that a lot of people view her as the bad guy who don't know the full story but like yeah we we have all of these true crime things that are obsessed with the criminal and then it just makes them I mean, it's not that I don't want them to be humanized at all, but it, it just humanizes them over their victims in a way that doesn't help anything. <laughs> well, yeah, because, I mean, it shows, like, movies like this and, like, a lot of, like, true crime stuff is kind of just like, isn't it crazy that he did that? And it's so obsessed with that that it's not really interested in the other elements of the crime. And the whole point is that you're supposed to be doing an investigation. You, like, you have the benefit of the distance and all the notes and everything, and, like, you have the actual people to have access to. And then the stuff people come out with is just, like, it's like they're trying to make a John Carpenter movie. Like, can we just, can we, like, try to understand the human mind a little bit? And this is, like, this movie is, like, the stuff that happens, it could be considered to be a horror movie in a di- in different hands. It would require some empathy for it to be a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's, I, there's nothing, there's no movie like this that I feel like we could just recommend. So I guess. I know. I was thinking of that. Try. Cause I mean, we're probably going to do it on the podcast anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Might as well, might as well watch it so that when we talk about that one, you're with us. Yeah. I feel like it's been on HBO forever and I keep on being like, we need to watch it because one day it's going to be taken off HBO and I don't want to have to pay for it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. This, this is also on HBO, but I don't think that, I think that there are better ways to spend 95 minutes. What do you yes. think, Chris? I would also agree. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything of, like, gay conning type of recommendation Though I know I'm like gonna hop off this call and be like, "Fuck, it's right there." Um, uh, watch, um, watch. Uh, can you ever forgive me? Oh yes, of course. Oh yes, yes. So <laughs> much better. Amazing. Wow. Um, yeah. And you know, and you know, the birdcage. That's a classic. We watched it recently. It's still great. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean. Thank you for uh, talking about this with us, Chris. Oh, my God. It's such a pleasure to come on. Listening to you guys always makes me happy. Um, So, yes, of course. I'm more than happy to be here. I'm sure. And I mean, we're definitely going to have you back. We're going to have you back. And and because of the way that our podcast is, it'll probably be something that's as horrible, but in another way. Oh, please. That's that's what I live for. Yeah. Anything, and I will be here. Just scrape the done, carcass we of what. Enough into Jennifer Aniston movies. We should bring you back for a Jennifer. Would you like a Jennifer Aniston movie? <laughs> I, I would be very down for that. I would be very down. Yeah, we have a lot of those left to cover. 
Yeah, we still haven't watched The Bounty Hunter or like. Uh, oh, that's true. Yeah, we haven't done The Bounty yeah, Hunter. We haven't. Wow. Yeah, we have a lot to watch, which is why I'm glad that I finally switched from Spectrum. I'm on RCN now. So <laughs> thank RCN for hopefully this podcast not sounding bad now. Fantastic. And also the guy who, like, brought in that did my cable, he used to work for RCN. It was just, like, talking so much shit. Like, I used to work for RCN. And I mean, I, no, I used to work for um, Spectrum, and I hated it. And now I work for RCN, and it's better. And I was just like, wow. It's like, you came here just for me to make Aww. me feel better about this decision. <laughs> He's like, I got you. I, I, know, I know both of them, and I know this is the superior one. You're good. You're in the clear. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this has been the Bad Romance Podcast. Our theme song is done by Clutch Douglas. We're on the Lunar Light Studio Network. So check out other podcasts from that network. It is it is a queer, like, leftist network, and everybody that runs it is fantastic. Um, yeah, you can leave us. Water, wear your mask. If you're like running out of masks, buy some more masks. That's that's clothes now. Buy them like clothes. Yeah, get um, a cute one. There's a lot of different options available now, and yeah, I have one with like a little kitty stuff, like a little Kit Kat. <laughs> yeah, there's so many fun mask options. You can also learn how to make your own, and don't feel like pressured by people who are pretending there's not a pandemic that make you want to party. Even people that we love are doing this now. I am subtweeting people I know right now. <laughs> I have not seen Bronwyn in person for several months, so if I can do it, if I can Exactly. If we don't get to record together and get high together, then then everyone else should keep following the rules as well as yes. they can. Exactly. Yes. So I have been Jordan Searles. And I'm Bronwyn Isaac. I'm Chris File. Yes. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. 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 Oh, yeah. Back it up, back it up. Let's dump this truck. Oh, yeah. Back it up, back it up. Oh, uh-uh, yeah. Let's dump this truck. Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay.